My husband and I have been through some low points in our marriage to the extent that we have considered divorce, I would say around three times we were facing it in a serious way in the early years of our marriage. Today, we've been married for almost two decades, and I am so deeply grateful for all of the things that guided me away from divorce and towards longevity in our marriage, towards fixing, learning, healing, growing, and creating a reality together that is the exact type of marriage that we signed up for. And because of this personal experience, I absolutely know that this is possible. Not for everyone, not in every single circumstance. There are some marriages that must end, but for many people. For almost every student that's ever come to me with marital crisis, I have seen myself in them and seen my story in them and seen the similarities. And to them, I can say really, really confidently, yes, this is more than salvageable. Yes, I know it feels like you are absolutely drowning now, but I promise you with the right process, you could be surfing. And it's become a real part of my life's mission to offer that piece of hope, but also the practical steps to get there to many of my students who feel that yearning in their hearts, like, hey, this isn't what I signed up for. There must be something better out there. This can't be all there is. Um, but also don't want to throw in the towel and break their marriage vows apart. And so today I want to share with you why I think that this is possible, but also why I think that the solution that our culture is currently offering us is unsatisfying. It's not enough. It's not going to work. And it just misses the mark. This is HiFam. I'm Avital. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I want to dive deep into the subject of crisis in marriage and what we can do to fix it. And I actually have a YouTube video coming out around now on this subject of why I think therapy is not the answer to our marital crises. And I'm sure I'm going to be getting a lot of pushback and criticism and resistance from people who find that offensive or problematic or take issue with the way that I speak about therapy. And so I decided I want to take this topic further, expand it and go deeper here on the podcast where I have a little bit more time to really delve into the issues, kind of splice them apart and untangle them in a more full and expanded manner. Because this is a touchy subject. It's a painful subject. It's a complex and nuanced subject. And it's a deeply, deeply personal subject, which means that it varies deeply from individual to individual. And I'm, you know, 100% going to try and navigate that carefully, uh, delicately, sensitively, but also some of the statements that I make might sound like gross sweeping uh, generalizations because I've just seen and read and learned and experienced enough to know that they're true for most people, even if they're not true for everyone. So let's go through this uh, a little bit methodically. In our culture, I believe we are experiencing a crisis in marriage. I believe there's a type of rot or a kind of mold that's taken hold in our culture with ideas that have infected our marriages and lead even the best couples to become disenfranchised and disillusioned and disappointed in each other and in their relationship. Now, when I talk about a crisis in marriage, it could be that you can relate to that on the level of, wow, yeah, my foot is 
out the door. My suitcase is almost packed. I've even called a divorce lawyer once or twice. Like I have really lost faith in my marriage. I want to leave. I fantasize about it ending. Um, Students have confided in me that they've fantasized about their husbands dropping dead, right? Like some people really feel on the edge of just despair when it comes to their marriage. And others feel like, okay, we're pretty stable. I'm quite content. Things are okay. I'm married to a good guy. You know, nothing awful is going on, but I just keep having this itch, this feeling that it's not enough, this feeling that there should be more, that I shouldn't have to settle this fantasy about freedom and liberation elsewhere, about self-actualization elsewhere, as if this is just simply never going to satisfy me enough. So wherever you are on that spectrum, I'm talking to you either way, whether you're kind of happy and things are, you know, give it a six or a seven, maybe even an eight, or if you're really down there at a, you know, zero one in terms of your satisfaction in your marriage. Here's Here's the issue with this, is that in our culture, even though marriage has been infected with this type of rot that I'm talking about, even though many, many couples get divorced, which means that about 50% of marriages fail, simply do not last, right? Those vows of till death do us part, they get broken, right? Or people stay in a marriage, but it's dissatisfying. It's humdrum, it's vanilla, it's gray, it's unhappy, Uh, or maybe it's really rife with conflict and frustration and difficulty or disloyalty or all sorts of things that are going on within a marriage. Now, let's put to one side marriages where there's actual abuse, right? Because marriages where there's actual abuse need to end, right? There are marriages where it's absolutely necessary to leave uh, and where divorce is 100% the right choice and perhaps the only choice. And I'm putting those to one side because they're really in a category all their own. I'm talking about marriages where you know, two good people are married, but they're just not managing to really make it that romantic relationship that they want it to be. They're not managing to find the deep satisfaction, the intimacy, passion, desire, uh, joy, connection, friendship that they hoped for and that they signed up for when they first got married. And in those cases, our culture really has only one solution for us. There's really only one thing that we are told to do. Um, That one thing is therapy, right? Couples counseling, therapy, going to a psychologist, seeing someone uh, in order to talk things through, in order to perhaps heal past traumas, gain insights to ourselves, uh, understand our partners better, have a third party who is there to offer mediation and help us to listen and understand each other better. So first I want to steal man therapy because I try to be a balanced, grounded person and a centered person And I have a lot of close friends and relatives who are psychologists, PhDs of psychology, therapists, psychiatrists, all sorts of different therapists out there. Uh, And I myself have been to three different therapists with my husband. And actually, we've seen great success. So my point here in this podcast, on my YouTube video, everywhere where I talk about this subject, and it's a bit of a delicate subject, so I try to traverse it well. My point is not to knock therapy per se but it's to open people's eyes to the fact that this is not always an ideal solution and it's certainly not the only solution. So let me break that down for you why I think that's true. So to continue steel manning therapy, okay, therapy can work well. It's possible to find a great therapist to go through a 
good process with them, to get your partner on board with it, to find it affordable, to find it convenient, to find it an excellent match, and to be able to go through a process from beginning to end where you feel that you've actually changed something, that you've actually seen results, you've actually healed the problem, right? That is possible. That does happen. And there is absolutely the need for therapy in the world, right? And there are different types of therapy. Uh, Some are more effective than others, but also some are more just attuned to what you want and aligned with your preferences than others. For people out there who have a therapist that they work with and they love it and it works for them and it makes things better and they get results with them, like amazing, keep doing that. I'm not knocking that. I'm not suggesting that it's a bad thing. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't do it or that it doesn't work. I also think that there are excellent therapists. I also think there are specific issues that need therapy. There's no other way around it. Like we've got to see a professional about this, right? And when we're dealing with childhood trauma, when we're dealing with history and baggage, when we're dealing even with personality disorders or with all sorts of psychiatric conditions, these are clinical issues that do need a clinical answer. And in some cases, you're going to be able to find an excellent therapist who is able to professionally lead you through a process that really gets you the results and the change that you're seeking. And that is wonderful. Go forth, continue, keep doing it. It's excellent. The trouble is that that is often not the case. And that's where I'm going to take issue with therapy as the only solution. Not when it is working, but in all the situations where it isn't working. Ultimately, we're still seeing this failure, this dissatisfaction, this difficulty, this challenge, this tension and friction that is still manifesting very powerfully in relationships. And it's pretty clear to me that therapy alone is not going to solve this issue. First of all, therapy is not that accessible to everyone, right? It's not always possible to find a therapist that is close enough and convenient enough, that is affordable enough, that your partner is willing to go to enough, that you can schedule uh, this therapy enough. And, And just so many couples that come to me, I find it's just an issue of, you know, a technicality that they can't really get the therapy that they need, that they have this desire for the solution to come from a therapist, but that therapist doesn't exist. They don't have that person near them or they can't afford that person or their partner isn't willing, and it becomes uh, this barrier, right? This kind of fantasy idea of, if only I had this therapist, then we could solve the problem. If only it existed, then it would be fine. But because it doesn't, we're now stuck, right? Because my partner's not willing to go to therapy, now there's nothing I can do. And it can become very disempowering when you can't find that solution. Now, there are all sorts of online solutions like BetterHelp or uh, those types of things. You could do Zoom sessions with therapists. You could do group therapy. You could maybe get some kind of counseling with your local church or through insurance or all sorts of solutions. And people try those solutions and sometimes they're effective and sometimes they're just effective for a time, like a Band-Aid solution. Um, But as a be-all, end-all solution to all marital stress and disappointment, it's not a good solution. It's not something that is working. People aren't finding those therapists. People aren't staying with those therapists. People aren't investing the time and the money in this therapist. And also there's just something inherently flawed about the idea that I need an ongoing kind of doula or nanny or, you know, 
separate individual to make my marriage work. I think there's something very, I found that very disempowering. I'll speak for myself. I found it not easily accessible. I found it hard to drag my husband there. I found it expensive, which was, you know, it was a barrier to entry to keep doing it week after week for months on end and maybe years on end. But also I found it disempowering that I was constantly hanging my hat on someone else's hook. Like, oh, they need to be uh, the solution, right? It was like a crutch that was developing. Now, if you go to therapy just for a limited amount of time, and we'll talk about that soon, and you manage to solve the problem, then that's effective. But if it becomes a lifestyle, if it becomes like, oh, in order to stay married, we need to be be in therapy all the time, that doesn't feel sustainable to me. That doesn't feel like an empowering status where I'm constantly dependent on this other individual. And who knows what's going on in their life, if they're always going to live near me, if they're always going to be available, if they're always going to be seeing clients. Like it, it becomes this type of dependency that I think is really inaccessible and it can create uh, just a barrier to entry. So that's the first thing. It's just the fact that it's not always accessible. Uh, so it can't be the be all end all solution of our culture. We do need to find additional ways of working uh, to create strong marriages. Within that, inaccessibility, I'm also including the fact that often partners aren't willing to go. They are disinterested. They don't want to. They don't like the feeling of sitting on someone's couch. They don't want to spend the money, uh, whatever it is. And so that also makes it inaccessible. It makes me also dependent on my partner's willingness to do this, participate in this particular activity in order to strengthen my marriage. Again, a dependency that I don't particularly want. I personally like to feel empowered, like I can make a change in my life. I can make a change to my relationship without constantly uh, nagging and demanding and 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 cajoling and pushing and uh, you know my partner into doing something in particular. And that that was something I found as a problem. So no disrespect to therapists and no disrespect to therapy, but it's not always accessible. Now I do want to go into a little bit of a disrespect to therapy because there is a particular type of therapy that I think is actually harmful to our marriages. And I've seen this time and time again with couples who come to me after having gone to two, three, four, nine therapists. Yes, I have clients like this. uh, And they've come out worse than they went in. And This is because of a particular type of model of therapy that has become popular and trendy over the last, I say, decade or so. And I I call it the affirmation model of therapy. And this affirmation model, it's not the kind of cognitive behavioral models that you'll find in therapies like CBT, right? Um, It's the type of model uh, that is based on a very passive, very agnostic, very uh, empathic, a neutral listening. And what will happen, and couples tell me this the whole time, and I've experienced it myself, is that you go into the therapist's uh, office and you sit down and you share and you talk. Maybe they prompt you very lightly here and there. Um, And they basically sit there and hold space for you. And they empathize and they listen and they validate. So they're saying, "Mm -hmm, uh wow, that is difficult. And and what's challenging about that for you? And how does that make you feel? Etc. And the issue here is that empathy is a great first step in a process when you want to change something, but it's a terrible last step. You know, starting with empathy softens us. 
It makes us feel understood. It makes us feel heard. We're like, okay, good. I got that off my chest. It's a relief. We feel validated. We feel like we're making sense. We feel like the other person gets us. It's a good feeling. And it's going to release all sorts of feel-good hormones. And I'm going to feel great about it. And so it's going to be rewarding for me in that sense. And that's good. And that's why we offer empathy to children when they're upset. And we offer empathy to our spouse and to ourselves. When we're upset, yes, we need a little bit of kind of cuddling and holding and empathizing and listening and validating. It's all good stuff. But it's a terrible last step because if you just do the empathy, then you can entrench and reinforce the problem. If I sit on a therapist's couch and they are simply, you know, just validating what I experience, then I'm sometimes getting the idea that what I experience really is terrible and sad and difficult and I'm a victim and it's hard and my feelings are valid and I should feel this way and I should feel upset and I do have a problem. And so I need to keep coming back and keep sharing that and keep getting it off my chest and keep building up this tension and then releasing it through the empathy and the, in the therapy. And I never move on. I never end my pity party. I remain in a place of struggle. And marriages that are struggling, when they come to a therapist's office and the therapist simply affirms their struggle, they remain struggling. Shocker. (laughs) It's surprising how that works. But if you just keep affirming someone's struggle, they don't take the step to get themselves out of the struggle, right? Affirmation doesn't give me any tools. It doesn't give me anything to do about this. It doesn't give me skills. It doesn't give me a plan. It doesn't hold me accountable or show me where my responsibility is. It doesn't show me what I can do. It's very disempowering, actually. Affirmation without coaching actually reinforces my problem. It keeps me small. It keeps me suffering. It keeps me struggling. It keeps me where I am. And I keep feeling good that I'm being affirmed. I I get that self-righteous hit like, yep, I was right. I should be mad. I should be angry. I should be hurt. My resentment is justified. My disappointment is validated. My sadness is empathized with. Cool. I feel all those good feelings, but I stay there. I stay there and the cycle keeps going. And I never put my big girl pants on and say, okay, now what am I going to do to solve this problem? Now what action am I going to take to change? And what I'm seeing in so many therapy models and my apologies if this is not you. If you're a therapist who does not work this way, then awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. But so many therapy models are going down this road of this affirmation model and they are entrenching a lack of accountability, a kind of passive, let's say fair lack of action, right? Where I just sit on the couch and moan about my life, but I never do anything about it. And I think this goes hand in hand with the next point that I have, uh, that, you know, issue that I take up with therapy is the model itself is an issue. And it's uncomfortable to talk about this, but it's true. So we need to talk about it, which is therapy is built on the idea of keeping coming back. And only really incredible, strong therapists who are truly, you know, worth their salt and who are professionals and who care about the healing model and who can actually put this to one side and notice it and be aware of this skew and this bias and this fault in the incentive models, only they are really going to manage to take you through a process where the process actually ends. Because if my livelihood comes from people keeping coming back to me each week and paying me each week, what 
you know, financial incentive do I have for them to get better, for them to make lasting change? I don't. And again, no, no, no shade thrown at therapists. They got into this profession because they want to help people just like me, right? I, I relate to that. I am very close to and very, uh, I, I sit in great admiration of many therapists in my life. I just want to be clear about that. But I know that they have incredible professional standards and they do not want to get people hooked on them. But that's not true for all therapists at all. And I know this because of many, many couples that come to me saying, I was in therapy for years. Years? Why were you there for years? What were you doing for years? Did you see any change over those years? No, we were just hashing through the problems. We just kept going on these archaeological digs to our childhood. Okay, cool. Listen, understanding yourself, you know, clearing out those stories, getting clear about your traumas, healing those things. Cool. That's all. That's good. That's part of knowing yourself and understanding your process. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I think I found that very helpful uh, to understand my childhood, to understand my relationship with my parents, to understand where certain traumas come from. Okay, cool. But that's not a, that's not a process that should be going on for years. Or maybe it is, but don't call that marriage therapy. It might be that I want to indulge in that kind of self-exploration and yeah, we got to be a little bit careful that that doesn't fall into navel gazing, but okay, self-exploration, self-understanding, getting to know myself better, understanding my history. Cool. I think there's a place for all of that, but just don't call it marriage therapy. Don't call it uh, that you're actually going to make a difference and a change in your marriage. Don't think that you'll actually change anything on the ground from that. I mean, some self-insight can change a little bit. We want to reflect on ourselves a little bit and get a little bit of insight to ourselves so we can know what to do differently, know what's working and what isn't, know where things come from. Like, sure, that helps. Uh, you know, for, I'm not for a second saying don't do that. But if you're doing that for years and the relationship is looking the same or worse, then there's something wrong with the model. And one of the things that's wrong with the model is that there is no incentive for the therapist to actually give you skills and tools and challenge you to take action, right? They need to call you to action. We don't have mentors and coaches and teachers and spiritual leaders and even parents in our own home that call us to action anymore. No one is saying, hey, Avital, here's how you build an incredible marriage. You need to pull yourself together on A, B, C, and D. And you need to make changes here and here. And then you're going to show up better and you're going to have a better, more satisfying marriage. No one's saying that, right? We don't have that anymore. Maybe that used to come from our parents, from our grandparents, from our church leader, from our uh, our counselors. I, I don't know. Maybe. I, I have no idea if it did or didn't. But we're certainly not getting it anywhere today. And when we go to get help, when we go to therapy, all we're getting is pats on the head. There, there, sweetheart. You're doing a great job. It's so hard. Poor you. I don't want that. That's disempowering. That's never going to get me what I want. Dude, I want romance. I want passion. I want desire. I want fun. I want friendship. I want trust. I want a whole bunch of things. I have a very, very high list of expectations of what I want for my marriage. And if I sit on someone's couch and they're just like, oh, it's so hard. Poor you. What have they done for me? They haven't given me anything. Give me the game plan. Give me a blueprint. Give me a script. Give me tools. Teach me. Why am I taught everything else in my life? How to drive a car, how to use my computer, how to do my taxes, all these things I get taught. I learn them. I, I figure out the skills and then I can do them. I went from not being able to do them and now I can do them. 
but on the most meaningful, the most impactful relationship of my life, it's like, hmm, yeah, it sucks. It's really hard. I know. Sorry. Like, I'm here to listen. No, don't just listen to me. Tell me what to do differently. Make me better. Make me stronger. Coach me up. And that's how I felt going to therapy that was just based on this affirmation model and that was just incentivized to keep me there was that it was keeping me small. It was keeping me sad. It was keeping us struggling. And we were like, no, hell no. I mean, imagine you went to a fitness coach. (laughs) I mean, I just laugh thinking about this example, but imagine you went to a fitness coach and they basically just sat you on the couch and they were like, yeah, fitness is really hard. I know it's so hard to like motivate yourself. And you're right. You're right to be frustrated. You're right to be exhausted. You're right to be tired. You are sore. You are weak. It is hard. Uh, No, thanks. I came to you so that you could coach me, so that you could help me get stronger, so that you could show me how, so that you could actually give me the blueprint. I want to be strong. I want to be healthy. Are you a fitness coach or not? I mean, the term therapy means to heal, therapeutic. It's supposed to actually heal something. But if you just entrench the problem further and further and further, what are you healing? So that's why I say I do believe in the behavioral models that help us actually make changes to specific behaviors. They're measurable. They're real processes. They're going to actually call us to action. But the affirmative models that simply listen, maybe analyze us, maybe just hold space for us, that type of thing, uh, you know, you've got to be careful about that. Along with this model of affirmation, there is also a model that is practicing this kind of judgment-free, agnostic approach to marriage. We have gone through a big process in our culture with regards to marriages and ending them. And I want to say loud and clear that I think divorce should be shame-free and that It's a wonderful, important milestone that we have fault-free divorces, no fault divorces. You can just get a divorce. You don't need to explain why. And that is as it should be. There are people who should get divorces. There are people who want to get divorces and those are their choices and that's fine. And if you've had a divorce, I'm sure you had excellent reasons for it. I am not here to sit in judgment of that. And with that, we do have to have some judgment around divorce as a phenomenon in general. In other words, I'm not sure why we've moved from divorce is terrible and bad and shameful to, no, sometimes you need the divorce and you don't need to explain yourself and that should be shame-free and no fault, all the way through to divorce is glamorous and celebratory and exciting and a totally equal valid path to staying married. It's basically the same or just a bit better and braver and a bit stunning. I see this, and if you haven't seen it, then good for you. I'm so glad. But I see this all the time in the novels, the books, the movies, the music, the celebrities, even in psychological gurus who teach this, who glamorize divorce as if it's just the same, as if it's just as good as a lifelong marriage. And that is strange to me. It feels really intellectually dishonest to me. Because look, look, I might get a divorce in the future. Who knows what the future holds, right? I I don't know. It's possible. 
Okay. I have very close friends who've had divorces. I'm not for a second saying that, you know, you're any lesser of a person. You're not as worthy. It's bad, et cetera, et cetera. But I think, and I, I hope that we can all agree that we didn't get married in order to get divorced. That there was a choice that we made here or a hope or a plan or a desire or a fantasy of having a lifelong relationship, of having a stable home and a stable partnership, of building something that lasts. Now, that becomes triple and quadrupled when we have children. I'm pretty sure that none of us want for our children to have a split home. Like, maybe willing for that to happen in a worst case scenario, but that would be a last resort. That would be when all other options are exhausted, when we've tried our hardest to make our marriages work. It's not a celebration. It's not a party. It's not glamorous. You know, I mean, it might be a celebration to get out of an abusive marriage, but it's not a celebration to break a home, to end a an okay marriage to end what could have been okay when you consider the impact it has not only on the couple, but of course on the children as well. And that's something that I I just think we're getting really squirmish about in our culture, just saying that it would be better if we could stay married happily than getting a divorce. Like that shouldn't be a controversial thing to say, that it's better for children, that it's better for us, that this is what we wanted. This is what I signed up for. This is why I got married to begin with. I want uh, to make that what I wanted it to be, right? Like I wanted it to be a meaningful marriage, a meaningful relationship, a lifelong relationship, a stable force in my life, a source of energy in my life. I wanted it to be joyful, connected, loving, fun. And I would rather make it work and make it all of those things for my own selfish reasons than not. But also that I have a duty Uh, a loyalty, a commitment to the vows that I made, to the person that I've invested in and that's invested in me, um, and most of all, to my children, uh, to try and create that stability for all of us moving forward. Now, again, no shade to you or to anyone if that doesn't succeed. The shade that I'm throwing here is when people pretend that that's a celebration or that that's glamorous or that that's somehow just as good right? Like, oh, no, no, no. Divorce is not a failure. It's actually a success. It's actually brave. Well, in very rare cases, it is brave. But most of the time, it is a failure. Like, I was facing divorce. And I know that had I gotten divorced, that would have been a failure on my part. And that would have been sad, not happy. It would have been something that was undesirable. It wouldn't have been the ideal. Now, would I still be a good person? Would we still make the most of it? Would we try conscious uncoupling? Would we try to be a good divorced couple? Yeah, all of that can be true. You can you can do it well and you could do it worse. But you can't pretend that it's plan A. Like, at least can we agree that this should be plan B? At least can we agree that people who are married and do have children should do everything in their power not to get divorced? And here's my trouble with therapy today which is that Therapy Today does not agree on that. Therapy Today will not tell you honestly that it is better psychologically if you are in a safe marriage to stay married for you, for your partner, and for your children. It won't tell you that there are tremendous benefits to being married and staying married, to growing old married. Married people have real benefits 
and that children have tremendous benefits. Children who grow up in a two-parent home that is stable and loving have a truly unfair advantage over children who do not. So this isn't just, you know, a judgment on people who can't can't manage to stay married or never got married or single moms. It's not like looking down on them. It's not dissing people. It's not trying to make people uncomfortable with their life choices. But we have to be honest that if this is available to you, you'd be kind of crazy not to try and go for it. You know, there are people who manage with one leg and there's no shade to them. Like that happens, you know, accidents happen. People are born with only one leg and they can be incredible and they can be strong and they can make the most of it and they can manage very, very well. But we're not going around saying that that is better or something to aspire to and that you should cut your leg off. And, you know, I do feel very similarly about marriages, like cutting the marriage off is, is something that sometimes has to happen. Right? Sometimes we, we lose a limb, like it's, it's painful and tragic and difficult and the recovery is slow. I've seen this firsthand in real life, but it happens and then we make the most of it. But that is not the ideal. That is not what we should strive for. Now, if you go to a therapist's office and you say, we're really, really struggling and we're considering divorce, they in many times, I don't know if it's nine out of 10 or five out of 10, but many therapists that I've heard from my clients who come to me after the therapy, these therapists are agnostic about it. They just, they're just like, mm, yeah, I mean, either way is fine. Either way, whatever you want, whatever you think. And they're almost like, it's almost like this death doula that's there to, you know, just kind of usher the, the spirit of your marriage out rather than like a surgeon or like a doctor who's there to save it, right? Like a doctor who you come to and you're about to get amputated and they don't do everything in their power to save your limb, that is medical negligence. That doctor should have their license revoked. Their whole thing, the whole oath that they're under is to first do no harm. They need to try to heal it. They need to try to save it. They need to try to make it work for you. And if that's impossible, then they need to give you the healthiest, you know, smoothest recovery and the the cleanest amputation possible. Okay, it happens. It's terrible, but it happens and, and people can live a good life after that. If you come to a therapist and she's not trying to help you to save your marriage, she's not trying to say, look, you're two good people. You know, yes, there's been a lot of water under the bridge. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of baggage, but we can save this thing. We can do something about it. Are you with me? It's worth it. You have kids. You have a life ahead of you. You're not 18 years old anymore. You know, you have a lot of joint history. You have a lot going for you as a couple. You've built a home. Don't throw it away. If, if, If she's not willing to say some of that, if she's not willing to at least give you some hope and some uh, belief that it's worth trying? I mean, what kind of therapist is that? Why are they agnostic about it? Why don't they care? What, they don't know the literature that staying married is better for you? They don't know the literature that when you get divorced, you're likely to get divorced again. Your children are likely to get divorced, etc. They don't know the literature that when you stay married, you make more money, you live longer, you're healthier, you're happier, you have more sex. They don't know all of this or they're just pretending not to know. Which is it? Are they negligent or ignorant? Therapists who don't try to save marriages are like surgeons who don't try to save limbs. Why the hell not?
And I'll tell you why not. It's because of some kind of weird cultural activism, weird cultural ideas that have seeped in. This is that rot, that mold that I'm talking about that takes hold in our brains like, oh, I can't say that their marriage is worth saving because then that's not politically correct. Then it sounds like I'm, I don't know, criticizing single moms, which is crazy and simply not true. And of course, that's not the case. So I don't know, for whatever reason, I'm not afraid to say it. I think you should save your marriage if you can. I absolutely think you should save your marriage if you, if you can. And here's the other thing with therapy. And that's a good segue to this point. And this is not therapy's fault and it's not therapist's fault, but it's our culture's fault. And here it is, is that people only go to therapy as a last ditch effort. They wait until their marriage is so broken that it is hard to save, right? Like if I come to my surgeon after my leg is already really in bad, dire straits, they can't save my leg. All they can do is amputate it. And all they can do is try to make that a smoother, better process, safer process. So it's not therapist's fault when people come to them and they haven't done any work, any prevention, right? They haven't taken care of their marriage. They've let it wilt. They've let it die. They've let it disintegrate. They've polluted it with terrible ideas. And then they come to the therapist and they're like, save it. And the therapist's like, like, dude, this is beyond saving. What can I do here anymore? And that's a problem too, because our culture only offers us therapy as a solution. I mean, seriously, what other solutions are there? What are, what? Read the five love languages book. Like that's the only other solution. Read a book, maybe. I don't know. It's just therapy. But they only offer that solution right at the end. Like you have to be in really bad shape to go rather than going as prevention, as training, just like we learn to drive. That's right. Like we learn to cook, we learn skills and then we can do them. If you learn skills in your marriage, then you can do it. Unfortunately, even the people whose job it is to help us with our marriages, even the therapists are not equipped to do that. They don't have the skills. They actually don't have them themselves. They don't know them. That's not what they're taught. That's not what psychologists are taught. They are not taught how to communicate. They are not taught the type of mindsets that help you in a relationship. They are not taught how to upgrade your relationship to really be friends and lovers and co-parents and partners in the fullest meanings of all of those words. That's not what they're taught. And so they don't have the tools. They can't teach them to you. But even those people who are supposedly our saviors in our marriage don't have the skills sometimes make it worse by simply affirming and re-entrenching the problem, but also don't seem to care. They don't care if we live or die in our marriages. Sorry, I know I sound a little bit impassioned on this subject, but that's only because I am. So to summarize, if therapy is working for you, go for it. If you have a great therapist, amazing. If you are a great therapist, respect to you. But no, therapy is not the only solution. And sometimes it's a really bad solution to marital problems. Sometimes it makes it worse. And you absolutely deserve to hear the voice of someone who believes in you as a couple, who's willing to take a stand and say, yes, this is worth fighting for. This is worth saving. It is possible. And here are the skills and the tools to save it. And that is exactly why I built Married You, because we need a university for this. We have a university degree in pretty much everything else, but not in how to maintain, sustain, and elevate the most meaningful and impactful relationship that we'll ever have in our lives, which is our relationships with our significant others. So my friends, head on over to marriedyou.com. It's married-you.com. You can get the free training there. You can join the course there. It's 
really the hardcore skills that I learned the hard way, because yes, we did face down divorce. Yes, we have been to therapy. Yes, I have been training and coaching people on this for over a decade. I've been married for almost two decades. And I I can tell you that it's possible. I want to be that voice that's whispering in your ear. Don't give up. Don't settle for less. And don't break this whole thing down. Instead, get the skills that you need and create the passionate, desire-filled, amazing, romantic, enjoyable, fun, trustworthy, safe marriage that you always wanted. You've got your partner right there. You've got them. I married you. Here, we did it. Married you, right? Now what? Now let's make the most of it. Now let's make those vows count for something. Now let's actually build that joint future together that we were hoping for. And that can't be through dependency on a therapist or on my husband. It can't. I need to be able to build that myself. I need to feel that empowerment and that liberation of, yes, I can create what I want here in these walls. And I, you know, I feel that in my parenting. Why shouldn't I feel that in my marriage? I, I believe that you absolutely can and that you should. And if you need someone to whisper countercultural whisperings in your ear, yeah, I get a lot of flack for this, but I'm not afraid to criticize feminism and I'm not afraid to criticize therapy and I'm not afraid to criticize all sorts of things if they are ruining our relationships or if they're just tainting them a little bit. Because the, the thing that I care about is building a strong family culture. The thing that I care about is having strong bonds with the people that I love. And that starts with my husband. And then it trickles down to my children and everyone around us. So I hope you find that empowering and helpful and strengthening. And I hope you hear my many, many, many disclaimers that I'm not throwing shade at anyone, but I do want to speak truth to help you to really create the marriage that you signed up for, the marriage that you deserve, a lifelong relationship. I don't know about you, but I want to grow old together. I want that compound interest that you only gain through time through year over year over year, going through things together, being there for each other, overcoming. And I want that for you too. Hey, if you found this confronting, if you heard your resistance bristle up, if you think this is an interesting spark for a conversation, share this with the people around you and use it to start a conversation of your own. And I'll see you here next time. Keep on living that high fam life.